Greetings. Thank you, listeners and fans of the Green Antler Waterfowl Podcast. My name is Sarah Fowler, and today I'm going to share a book that I've read uh, that I just picked up or that I recently acquired. And it's sort of piggybacking on the last episode, um, which was season two, episode four, which makes this season two, episode five. It's our 45th episode. Congrats to us. And um, this book that I want to share is called Cultural Landscapes, What They Can Tell Us About Gold River, British Columbia. So last time's was about the Gold River 200 race, and that's our most popular episode to date. So we're going to piggyback on that excitement, and I'm going to say a big thank you to Chuck Simey uh, for writing this book. I'm going to read the back, and then I'm going to go to the um, chapter that I've picked out to share with you. And I have another book if we have time at the end. So I looked, I then looked back at the foyer of the main entrance and thought about some skookum lager bargaining in, barging in and calling out, any cake eaters in the house? Hoping that some pulp mill workers, with the exception of Newfie, of course, would take him up. It was West, it was West Coast and it was ancient. It was Ackley's calling to Hector at the gates of Troy. What was it like to live and work in the instant town of Gold River, British Columbia, when the economy flourished and its pulp mill operated around the clock? And as the old mill site now gives way to demolition, what interesting aspects of those times still remain in the people and in the community? This book is an honest ground level look at that through cultural landscapes. Chuck Simey has lived in Gold River since 1979. When his job at the Gold River Pulp Mill ended in 1999, he retrained as a historical interpreter. Remembering that he personal, what he personally experienced, interviews with old timers, and simply living where he has for many years, Chuck offers a unique perspective in an enjoyable light read. So, thank you uh, to the Potarmigan Press for putting this out because it seems really awesome. I feel like cultural landscapes really speaks to what we're doing here um, at our sort of end of the, the gravel road, the Head Bay Forest Service Road. And uh, it sort of, um, it speaks to the heart of my work because I'm a culture worker, I'm an artist, and it's hard to blend that with the art of politics and um, landscapes and like the, the tangible, my feet are on the ground ways of things. And I'm going to read this chapter on page 45 called Nicknames as Landscape. And over the years, people moved to Gold River from communities where nicknaming people, places, and things were common. For example, Ocean Falls and Cumberland, BC were two known sources for this and, like Gold River, both were primary resource industrial communities. <clears throat> In Gold River, I have never... Oh, where is that? Okay, good. I have never thought of nicknames as being derogatory or judgmental. Rather, they simply glue themselves to their subject and then, for some reason, whether obvious or not, stick. Sometimes in the case of people, their real names get lost over time. In the Cumberland Cemetery, for example, example, Labor Martyr Ginger Goodwin's real name, Albert, is not even carved into his headstone. I wonder how many people back then even knew it. To avoid losing what I remember and the extensive help of, uh, that others have given me over the years, I have prepared a list. Most of these nicknames were used at the former pulp mill, the logging division, or by employees who worked at these locations in the villages, the general area, and Nooka Sound. And while not intended to be exhaustive by any means, I think it's a pretty good sampling nevertheless. 
If this generates a storm of, but you forgots, that will be okay. Then the bank will grow, won't it? <laughs> also, you will notice that in the case of people, I have deliberately withheld their real names. I know almost all of them. And the reason for this is obvious. I don't want you to, to get into in any trouble. Maybe before I die, however, I will div divulge all to a museum or something. But if you want to know who they are, there's nothing to prevent you from asking around. Some listed here have passed away or moved away, but many are still here. And if the person you ask happens to know them, then it might just get you a smile. Nicknames have that effect on people, you know. They really do. Nicknames of people. Armpit. Gold River Pulp Mill Worker. Term for Gold River Logger. Art Bellows. The pulp mill worker whose voice would gradually rise to an orator's crescendo at union meetings when he was making a point. Beep, beep, two exclamation points. A senior manager in the early days of the pulp mill who had the habit of coming up in, coming up behind workers unannounced and then looking over their shoulder to see what they were doing. When workers turned around and saw him standing so close, it had the effect of startling them like the Roadrunners beep beep directly behind the Wile E. Coyote in the cartoon series. Barney the Barn Burner. His name wasn't Barney, and I don't think he ever burned any barns either. Beer Bottle, Big Al, Bylaw Bill, a bylaw enforcement officer, Broomhilda, the bar manager at the Royal Canadian Legion in Gold River. She was probably named this by one of the trolls, Racket Sea Trolls, Bunty, the name of a guy named Homer, Burlap, Buttle Bill, Cake Eater, a Gold River logger's term for a Gold River pulp mill worker because of the jammy jobs they were thought to have. Cakey, a version of Cake Eater for pulp mill workers, see immediately above. Care Bear, a grumpy but good-hearted fellow. Chico, China, Chukarowski, Dave and Dave, Denty, Dozer, Earl, a nickname for a guy named Jim. Fast Eddie, Fleet of Foot, an auxiliary RCMP constable who chased after someone. Oh, there it is. Keep going. Um, for Christ's sake, don't miss it. Fraz, or... <laughs> Friar Chuck, Frosty, Gabby, Little Al, Grumpy Bob, Haggis, Hall's Angels, Tradesmen who made up the project crew at the pulp mill, Hambone, Handsome Huck, Headbay Jerry. Headbay is the is west of Gold River and at the head of the Tulipana Inlet. So Headbay is on the way to Tassus. If, if you've been, you'll know. Highball, High Pockets, a supervisor who wore his pants pulled up high. Ichabod, a person thought to resemble Ichabod Crane in the literary classic The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Igor, an imposing RCMP officer. Jaguar Joe, Johnny Alphabet, a fellow whose surname was difficult for most to both say and spell. Kiwi, Liquid, Lugs. According to his friends, when Lugs was little, his mom was little, his mom, after giving him a bath in one of those old-fashioned wash tubs, would hang him up by his ears on the clothesline to dry. Mr. Congeniality, a fellow who could not, who could be a lot more pleasant. <laughs> Mad Dog, Moose, Mustang, Newfie, Nine Loads, Penis, Peanuts, Pimmy, Piss Tank, Plummy, Pops, an old-timer with a knack for solving logging problems. Pumpkin, Rambo, Red Ronnie, a union activist with strong socialist values. Relic, Rodley, a variation of Rodney. Rotten Ralph, a gentleman who was anything but. Rubber Russ, a logging truck tire man. Run Amuck, a variation of a fellow's surname. 
scoop a newspaper man shut her down sid squid solid state a worker with no moving parts spud a fellow with a surname similar in sound to potato stinky tasshole <laughs> a gold river secondary school students nickname for their counterpart in tassis a village 64 kilometers away so that's a special fondness for me of course as i am a resident of tassis the ayatola the kaiser the legend the lord the nut the tasmanian devil tippy trolls regulars at the royal legion Royal Canadian Legion Bar, also see Broomhilda. Tubby, Twiggy, a really big guy, VD. A fellow whose given and surnames corresponded to the letters of the alphabet. Waggy, Wee Eddie, Winger, Wignut. Names of places. Aluminium Heights, an old trailer park in Gold River. Banana Heights, Yellow Condominiums, a Nimkish Drive. Beer Can Bay, the location of three cabins on Bly Island in Nootka Sound. Beverly, as in Beverly Hills, the Scout Lake or northernmost subdivision in Gold River. <laughs> Bullshit Lake. Uh, um, Bull Lake on the road to Tassis. The name, the name's legs say... The name, lake's namesake allegedly stretched things a bit, hence the name... So Bull Lake is on the summit. Club Zed, Zabalis, BC. Gotham City, the stall lavel building at the former pulp mill, a surreal place of steam pipes and valves. Larryland, a campground southwest of Gold River. Legoland, the colorfully painted wet end of the machine room at the pulp mill. Phil's Penthouse, the uppermost floors or floor or floors of the steam and recovery building at the pulp mill. The animal house, the chalet annex, when the mill operated a single men's accommodation building beside the chalet hotel, likely named after the movie by the same name. The Bay of Pigs, a logger's cabin on Bly Island in Nootka Sound. The... Childakin Trail, as in the famous Chilcotin Trail, a 5.5 meter long footpath connecting the main Legion parking lot near the Cenotaph with the Village Plaza parking lot besides the old Super Value. Here, they say, Gold River historian Glenn Doak took a tumble and, unable to right himself like a turtle on its back, he remained until his friends from the Legion came to assist. Dusted off, he was no worse for wear. The Far Side, the newsprint mill adjacent to the pulp mill that ran from 1989 to 1995. It was probably derived from the cartoon series of the same name by artist Gary Larson. The Scunge Palace, the pub at the Chalet Motel in Gold River. The Zoo, another nickname for the Chalet Annex. Marshall Wells by the Sea. The former pulp mill as a source of material for home and other projects. Walton's Mountain, a former peppercorn trail motel, so named for the family that owned it and operated, is now the location of the lodge at Gold River. Walton's Mountain. Oh, cool. Was Vegas is Was BC. <laughs> Nicknames of things. Bullprick, a compensator on a logging truck. It helps the trailer track around the cab when loaded. Bull Sessions, the local agreement, local agreement between management and union representatives at the former pulp mill. Later, they were distributed to hourly employees in the form of a booklet. Bull Low, the lowest gear on a logging truck. Cougar Highway, roots or root, root or roots, these large cats used to stealthily traverse the community. They are thought to predominantly involve a chain of green spaces. Gold River Gold, Gold River Tapwater. Hillcrest, a Gilchrist Jack used in hand logging. In 
Industrial language, swearing, <laughs> Mother Tassis. Starting with Tassis Company, the first company, all the sub subsequent owners of the pulp mill. The term, this term was used by employees to acknowledge the extreme economic dependence they had on the mill for their livelihood and standard of living. And so I have this page, it's page 65, dog-eared, and this is why I've chosen to sh share this chapter today, because of this mother Tassis. And as a Tassis mother, I know that our community and standard of living and livelihood has really been adapted uh, since these these days you know we, we call these the good old days <laughs> and I guess that makes these the bad new days but or maybe the um, different days newly different days so I'll just keep on with the um, the nicknames show and tell the maintenance supervisors morning meeting at the pulp mill the Antichrist, the carpenter's service truck at the pulp mill, it had poor dependability record. The sweet water canal, the brown, bubbly, and streamy effluent ditch, ditch at the former pulp mill. Origin of cake eater and armpit. In, 20, oh, in 2002, I put this to a group socializing at the Legion. The group included Brian Wagstaff, Glenn Doak, and the late Lou Como. Kate Geeter, they said, may have been coined by Bill Ford, an early management figure at the Tassis Company Logging Division. Glenn Doak added that the first guy he ever heard use the term armpit was the late James Jimmy Power. Jimmy was an electrician at the mill. Notes. Okay. The late Jack... Thompson told me about the Gilchrist Jack. Dairyman told me about the nickname Cakey in October 2018. His former father-in-law, the late Doug Wilson, had used it to label pulp milkers, pulp make, pulp mill workers when they were picketing a logging division in the early 1980s, which is a good time for me. The first person I recall using the nickname Gold River Gold was longtime resident Doria Croto. And as Tassis knows, we also have our, our Tassis Gold, which is our, our water. We know its quality and value. I personally recall seeing the word Sweetwater Canal on some electrical blueprints in the MCC room electrical in the basement of the bleach plant at the paper mill. High pockets is also the Chinook jargon way of saying tall fellow. <laughs> uh, a recently added linguistic landscape, the Child Akin Trail was masterfully named by my old friend Doug Knowles. For a while, there was even a sign marking it, but it has since disappeared. Laverne Kelly provided the dates that the newsprint mill ran. Her late husband, Mike, was superintendent in part of in part of the mill. Also, thanks to Denise Watt and Kathy Kennedy, the date of the interview at the Legion was May 11th, 20, 2002. So I'm going to keep reading um, the paint shop. To this day, it still stands, though cornered and teetering like a tired old elk waiting on wolves. But it always seemed to be like that, even on the day in 1979 when I first saw it. It is the building that once housed the paint shop, or ye old paint shop, as its proud sign once proclaimed. Screwed high on the building's exterior, the sign was painted to look like the same kind of scroll on a town crier might unravel before yelling something out. The long gone, but long gone, it announces now to no more. The building, however, has always been a survivor. Originally, it had had, it was a logging vehicle maintenance building that had been allowed to survive into the area of the new pulp mill rising up before it. In the 1960s, they must have said, we can still use it. So they let it remain in time, becoming a sandblasting and paint shop. Now, many years later, in the shadow of the ruins of that same mill, 
It stands untouched by the smashing tugs and pushes of a wrecking machine. I wonder if the table where the card playing happened is still in the shop's lunchroom. I still remember touching the area worn into the imitation wood top. Polished smooth, it was amazing. It was amazing what thousands of playing cards passed, oh, passing over it would, could do. Characters congregated there over coffee. In retrospect, they all seemed to have stepped right off the pages of an old comic book. Back then, Vince, or VD, as he was known, sat beside me. And across from him, Eddie, Fast Eddie. Um, the caption under this picture says, Old tumbleweeds would make it more ghost town looking. Bob McGeorge's sign shop was behind the white door on the right. The ye old paint shop sign used to be between the two windows on the left second floor. The painter's lunch and locker rooms were on the ground floor and access through the door now obscured by the bushes in the photo. The Mills Masons also worked from this location. In a fury, in a flurry, the cards were dealt and away the game would go. Sometimes Vince would lead sideways toward me, turn slightly and twist his brown rubbery face into a knowing smile. It was a, I'm really gonna get Eddie with this hand smile. And then, in what seemed only a split second later, Eddie would half mutter, half groan with a long cigarette bobbing between his teeth. You stupid old... And then he would slap his cards down aghast. Vince would lean forward his trembling chin causing the top edges of his cards to vibrate. Dumbfoundedly, the perfect hand that he had held so confidently only a moment ago had collapsed in one swift move by his opponent. As the slow, shaking disintegration into teary-eyed laughter began, I would turn from them both, self-conscious, I would try to focus in front of me. Eventually, I would stop laughing and dry the corners of my eyes. Notes. I wrote the first draft of this in 2021, not long after the Gold River pulp mill closed. During the book's edits, however, I learned that the building had finally been demolished. In denial, I suppose, I decided to keep the article the way it was. In t May 2019, I phoned Brian Dent who had painted the ye old paint shop sign all those years ago. I wanted to ask him how he had spelled old on the sign. Did it have an E on the end of it, for example? Brian said that he could not remember, but that he recalled that fellow painter Bob McGeorge had suggested the old Navy spelling, which might have been old, O-L-E, Anyways, that went, that, that's what I went with in this writing. And there's more notes on the back. It says, the late Vince V.D. Doyle was a well-known character that I knew for many years at the mill. Another nickname he went by was Shutterdown for, as the story goes, leading the hourly paid workforce out the gate, work stoppage on a at least one occasion as union president. Replacing an international union, the Canadian-based pulp and paper, pulp, paper, and woodcutters of Canada succeeded in, its, in representing the hourly paid workforce in the mill. Before the old painter's lodge burned down in Campbell River, some of the mill's painters would get together on weekends and sing in the basement of to a honky-tonk piano. One of the songs was set to the music of What Do You Do With a Drunken Sailor? It went like this. Tassis is where my ass is. Tassis is where my ass is. Tassis is where my ass is. Early in the morning. 
What do you do with a drunken painter? What do you do with a drunken painter? What do you do with a drunken painter early in the morning? Throw him in the bleach pant till he's sober. Throw him in the bleach pant till he's sober. Throw him in the bleach pant till he's sober early in the morning. In the song, Tassus refers to the Tassus Company not the village and that's a very challenging distinction to this day so that's on page 70 and i'm really i didn't know that song was there (laughs) and i'm just reading blindly to um the next page which is called the empty lot we have lived in the same house on chamas crescent in gold river since 1984 and for all that time the lot next to us excuse me when you come up the hill from nootka drive has remained empty the location however has not been without drama <laughs> one morning one summer evening that is in 20 in 2009 I arrived home to find two Mounties standing in front of our house. Both had pump shotguns. Now this is not good, I said as I got out of my truck and walked over to where the corporal of the two was briefing his partner. He said that there was a cougar that had been treed in the empty lot and that they were going in to dispatch it. I then offered to divert traffic while they dealt with the situation. Moments later, after a sequence of booms, there was quiet. It was over. Hiking in along with some fellows from the fire department that were assisting the Mounties, we came to where the big cat lay. It was female. My first impression was the size of her paws that in an unextended state could span the palm of my hand as the mounties still had their firearms and the ground was very uneven i again offered to assist by carrying the cat out to their waiting crew cab the body was still warm and the thought of the cat coming back to life did cross my mind (laughs) oh that's makes me think of the bear situation from this this summer which I wasn't here to know about but I heard stories of as we placed the animal in the bed of the truck neighbors were gathering it was an exciting episode to an otherwise usually quiet neighborhood I was saddened by the need to shoot the animal but also appreciate it appreciate of the police acting uh the The caption on this picture um, says, Loggers! Exclamation point. Thinking he was doing me a favor, a logger proposed to cut down these two apple trees nearest to the door to help me erase the memory of getting married between them. But since married life has been good to me, I protested and the trees were spared. They are very beautiful. Um, Aside from that the years that seemed to pass by normally then one day we got the news that we were going to have new neighbors logger buck hobbs who owned the lot and his girlfriend were now planning to build their house there so to begin the process of preparing the site buck arranged for his friends to log the lot on the weekend on a weekend morning watching for the safety of our front yard i was amazed at how quickly the lot was transformed some of the last trees to fall were near the property line near our two apple trees this was the once shady location where in 1997 my wife and i exchanged our marriage vows with all the trees down now a logger now called to me and me and gesturing with his saw in the direction of those apple trees. Do you want those down too while I'm here? Quickly protesting, I ran forward and responded, Oh no, don't do that. My wife and I were married between them. Thinking quickly, the logger replied, That's why I asked you. You probably want them cut down by now. The caption under this picture is folk art. 
with chunks of log more plentiful than pumpkins. This is how logger Paul Lavriolet gets ready for Halloween. Only the eyes are store-bought. So instead of a pumpkin, it's a jack-o'-lantern covered, ca- carved out of wood. Notes. Since first moving there in 1984, I have called our Chamis Crescent home Apple Hill. Oh, Never having to go far for happiness, I met my wife Janet, for example, only three houses away. As this goes to print, the empty lot is still empty. (laughs) Oh, good. You know you are in Gold River when, after you are served bacon and eggs at the local restaurant, one of the loggers having coffee at your table tells your server, and bring three extra forks. You see a logger with the words, Run, Forest, Run, on his t-shirt. <laughs> you hear a logger call a former pulp mill worker cake eater, followed by the former pulp mill worker calling the logger armpit. Someone new to town asks a local where a certain street is, and they answer with, I don't know, but if you tell me where who you're looking for, I probably I can probably show you where they live. <laughs> That's so tasses too. You fill your water bottles before leaving town so that you can drink Gold River Gold as long as possible. That is also very true for us. There's a line up there's a lineup at three of the post at lineup of three at the post office and the two customers behind the one being served talk about the lineup you see the slogan earth first then we'll log the other planets (laughs) in summer there's no shortage of places to swim you can always find a place to park your vehicle oh that's so tasses too as a Canadian of North European heritage, you give a Moachit Muchalak guy a lift to the Texana Reserve in your old truck. Then, when you start to roll down the window and it jams, he leans over and says, I see you have an Indian truck. <laughs> Not knowing how to respond, you stay quiet until he adds, You're going to have to excuse me. I'm not very politically correct. Notes. Gold River water was rated the best artesian spring water in North America in 1996. Gold River gold is a term used by longtime Gold Riverite, Gold River resident Doria Cruto, Crotio, Crotio. With the village proper, approximately one square kilometer, there are at least five outdoor swimming locations along the Gold and Heber rivers. It was my Indian truck. And I was the driver. (laughs) The silver stump. Stump is a gold river word. It is a woods word. When we join someone for coffee, we pull up a stump. When we are out on some logging road and have a flat tire and then discover that our spare is also flat, we are up a stump. And... In days gone by, a trophy to win locally was the Silver Stump. The Silver Stump was presided, presented for, in, for excellence in darts at the Royal Canadian Legion. Today, it rests in a quiet corner of that building. There, other trophies from days gone by dwarf it. But Silver Stump is unique. It was made here. Also, most of the teams that competed for it were from the same general area as Gold River. In the beginning, only Tassas and Gold River were involved. Later, invitational competitions expanded to teams from Vernon Camp before it closed down and from Wass. Finally, near the end, Sayward also participated briefly. Though called silver, the trophy is not. It's really stainless steel. In early an early date shown on its base the early date shown on its base is 1980 it was made by john radchan a welder who used to work at the pulp mill 
though John has passed on and Oki, his wife, no longer lives in Gold River, they are remembered fondly. The gift of a stainless steel coin bank resembling a log given to one local family remains as a much treasured reminder of their friendship. Like the silver stump, it too displays John's great skill at welding. Simply by studying the trophy, we can learn things about the woods industry, the heritage of many families who live today or have lived in Gold River. A figure holding a tiny dart stands poised to throw atop an unusually tall stump, one similar in appearance to the stumps left by the old-timer faller, old-time fallers. Before the advent of the power saw, they used to cut trees off higher from the ground than they than what they do today. Fallers used to stand on springboards sometimes as much as six feet, six and eight feet above the ground. This would avoid the tough wood near the base of the tree, an important consideration when only muscle and a good sharp edge got you through your tree. Oh, sorry about that. I dropped the phone, so I've, I'm starting again. I think that I left off at, uh, huh, where did I leave off? About a uh, good sharp edge. Yeah. Got you through your tree. The figure also reminds one of some of the old photos of the high riggers standing on the tiny platforms they had created by topping a spar tree. These photos of achievement and daring are breathtaking. They show these workers perched 150 to 180 feet in the air. Some trees were topped even higher. There were never, there, excuse me, there may never be a line up to view this trophy the way Canadians file by to buy the Stanley Cup. Nevertheless, for those who know its story, those skilled hurdlers of the tiny spears, the silver stump will always be special. Notes. Thanks to Larry Rich, Terry and Kathy Brooks, Paul Lavolette, Brian Wagstaff, Glenn Doak, and Doug Knowles. The importance of donuts at the Gold River Vault Mill. <laughs> Well, it operates smiles, handshakes, and jokes all worked if you wanted to do business at the Gold River Pulp Mill. But if you were a salesperson and did not bring donuts, well, it just might not happen for you. How did donuts come to be required currency at the mill? What were strategies, what were strategies for their use? Really, how did these sticky little heart cloggers make the machine make the world go round in a world full of steam gases and whining machinery to understand human nature is to understand the effect that donuts have on workers when a box of them is plunked on a darkened lunchroom table they were goodwill in a box they said that the person giving them was okay and that the company they represented was probably okay too Donuts were part of the cost of doing business for salespeople. To show up without them might be taken that you were cheap and that your company was cheap. Sales pitches that were made after that, after the chomping got underway. Two boxes of the gooeyest were a minimum to bring. Of course, the first line of resistance was the gatehouse where all who entered the mill had to sign in. A box had to be dropped off there. You got It got you in by appeasing the most basic of all hurdles, the gate guard. Having neutralized that location, the next appropriate place would be the respective shop with whom you were dealing. 
If you were selling pipe, the pipe shop. If you were selling electrical supplies, then the electrical shop, and so forth. Show and tell, or where the first line maintenance supervisors had their coffee, would also be another strategic drop for the discerning. The stakes were high. One highly specialized valve, for example, is known to cost $185,000. That's one valve. If paid by commission, that would be a salesperson's cut. What would the salesperson's cut be on that? With a sale like that hanging in the balance, could a salesperson really risk showing up without them? The donut culture reached its zenith during time periods known as shuts. This is when the mill would cease operating in order to do maintenance work. On these occasions, tanks were crawled into, motors replaced, pulp dryers blown clean, and other maintenance work performed that could not be done while the mill was operating. These were intense times with contractors and mill personnel alike pouring over the quieted machinery. One industrial rental company in particular, Robinson's Rentals, was very high profile at these times, reflecting the seriousness of how they viewed their relationship by the mill, they were known to have dispersed 12 boxes of donuts around the mill when they arrived on site. This was good business indeed. Though 20 years have passed since its closure, crystal clear images remain for those who once worked at the Gold River Pulp Mill. One that is remembered is of a welder emphatically denying knowledge of where all the donuts of where all the donuts went unaware that his face was covered with icing sugar <laughs> notes thanks to Wally Hall, Dennis Forever, Glenn Doak and Sandy Watt razor sharp logger sports have been held at a number of locations around Gold River over the years the last one I went to was in Port McNeil, lovely Port McNeil once they were held once they were held where the larch place town houses are today on one occasion the guy wanted to enter a chopping contest there of course the primary consideration was his axe so he took it in to one of the machinists at the pulp mill for sharpening his axe by the way was a double bitted sagger the machinist first discussed the matter with this guy he told him there was an optimal angle that the chopping edge should have about 31 and a half degrees. Is that what you want? The guy replied, well, could you make it even sharper? See, I want it razor sharp. I want it so sharp I can shave with it. The machinist said he could, but he added it probably wasn't a good idea. The guy insisted, however, so the machinist went ahead and gave him what he wanted. Finally, the day of the competition arrived and the axe man, intense and ready, waited. Suddenly, it began. The axes flashed and down they all came. Thunk, kung, kung, kung. And how did he do, the guy with the razor-sharp axe? Well, at the end of the competition, he was still tugging on his axe, embedded to the hilt on his first mighty swing notes the lack the late jack thompson told me this story oh afterward i visited the pulp mill 20 years after it closed in november 2018 i learned that there was going to be an auction down at the pulp mill the day before the auction however there would be an opportunity to walk around and see what you might like to bid on since that particular day, November 19th, corresponded to when I had when I had started at the mill 39 years ago and it had been 20 years since the mill had closed. I thought it was interesting to go for a visit. I was curious to see what had changed. Well, I did it did take it did not take me long, however, to find out that some things had not changed. In the store's receiving area, I went into the office and noticed a wall calendar still up 
As if frozen in time, the month displayed was August 1998. As the mill marched towards its suspension of operations that fall, no one had bothered to tear the months off after that one. In the pulp storage warehouse, once a dangerous and off-limits place for pedestrians during shipping lo- ship loading, I wandered to the back wall and found a little stack of pulp sheets. Though some sheets showed mold around the edges, they were otherwise as good as the day they had come shooting off the layboy. Amazed, I thought of the mountains of this product that once filled the cavernous building and when it was full, the surrounding areas but it was all gone now. Besides, exporting pulp sheets had local uses too. For example, if you added a bit of water, you could make a good slush ball for throwing at someone. At the auto shop, the heavy-duty mechanics used them as blotters for oil spills. Also, when the painters were Working in offices, they provided clean protection from paint spatters. Uptown, sheets were even hung from the ceiling of the community center on at least one occasion to improve the acoustics for a rock and roll concert. I even still have a Halloween ghost made with a sheet. All, this is the caption on the picture of these pulp sheets. All that I could find of what the mill used to make was this little reminder, a partial bale of pulp against the back wall of the old pulp storage warehouse. For a moment, I thought of bidding on the pile and then were my bid accepted, slicing the sheets into bookmark markers for sale as Gold River souvenirs. But no, I dismissed the idea. Up in the lab, I admired the hand-painted lettering done by either Bob McGeorge or Brian Dent over the entrance to the technical meeting room. I also smiled when I thought of Gord, who used to eat a marmalade sandwich every day. He worked here and how his friends had made sure he was well-stocked with the product on his retirement. In the welding shop area of the machine shop a row of personal lockers still looked as new as if they'd been just delivered by the service crew their marlin blue color still shining brightly in overhead lighting before leaving i bumped into dale frame who once worked in the pulp pulping group he pointed to an orange door in the distance now opening into thin air it was the door that led from the bleach plant control room into the operating floor as I looked, it looked as it, I looked at it as I hoped it would was sealed off from the other side because the sheer drop where the floor used to be was now about 40 feet down. Dale went on to tell me that he had pointed the door out to his daughter when she was here and had explained to her that he had gone in and out of it many times for many years. As I left Dale and the gatehouse for home, I was glad to know that he had passed along and then wondered how long she would remember it. Who knows, I thought, maybe all her life. So I'm just going to read some of the captions on these pictures. Shining from the shelving like a Halloween jack-o'-lantern, this brand new Gold River Pulp Mill hard hat invited a photo in the dark recesses of stores ready for auction this palette of computer keyboards somehow reminded me of freshly caught fish (laughs) in the hallway below the engineering offices the janitors also wanted inclusion and in the case of this humongous signage it says janitorial lunchroom sanitary engineers not a board game when company tools were loaned out they had to be kept track of where the tool had been the tool crib attendant would then place a tag with the tradesman's name on it the color indicated the trades the department where the tradesman worked in the machine shop these marlin blue personal lockers look as new as the day the service crew delivered them When the warehouse was full of pulp, 
when the warehouse was full pulp was stored outside under huge tarps. Though these large blocks of marble are relatively new to this space, they are not new to Nootka Sound. Prior to World War I, marble was the principal export of the area. So there's big pictures of marble there. And this is uh, page 91. We'll probably be wrapping up pretty soon because I'm getting close to the end of the book, but also um, I have to calculate how many minutes can fit into this recording. So this is my story coming to Gold River. Gold River has been good to me, logger Doug Kennedy. I came to Gold River in the fall of 1979. Adrift and in poor shape emotionally, I sometimes think of myself as getting washed ashore here and then waking up wondering where I was. But everyone was very kind to me and they patched me up. They also got me laughing again, something I really needed, for I had not laughed in a long time. And so gradually I came around and became myself again with their help and for that I will always be grateful. Earlier, I had been in Delta, B.C., having just arrived there from Yorkton, Saskatchewan. I saw an ad in the paper for a painter mason slash mason at the Tassus Company pulp mill. So I came up for an interview with Basil Sampson, who was the supervisor of the painters, masons, carpenters and fiberglass shop. The interview with the Baz, as he was known, went well and I got the job. Having family in Nova Scotia like Basil, Basil was a proud Cape Bretoner, may have also helped. And so I started work for $11.50 an hour with benefits. My hourly rate in Saskatchewan had been $6.40 per hour, and so from a wage perspective, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. Shangri-La was a real place and at last I had found it and it was even in the mountains like they said but Tassus company had been good to its employees long before I came in 2001 I interviewed the late James Power who came out from Montreal in April of 1968 to work for the company James and Sheila his wife had six children When are you coming to God's country? A voice had asked him over the phone. Once hired, Jim said the company then paid for everything, food and moving expenses. He also began to double, he also began to double his former wages. Things were so great, he added. You could not get me out of here. This um, caption says an elk herd dropped by for a visit and there's some elks eating the the people's front grass, the front lawn. It says photo courtesy of Kathy Brooks. Not long after arriving, I met a carpenter named Doug Bogey who had an interesting perspective on newcomers. A very direct man, he asked me pointedly, when you come to Gold River, you're either on your first chance or your last. Which are you? Taken aback, I did not know how to respond, so I did not. But since, since then, however, I have often thought about what Doug had asked. And so, in retrospect, and were he alive today, I would tell him, Doug, I guess I was on the first of my last chances. <laughs> oh, wow. The first of my last chances. Now in 2020, the 24-hour industrial town that I knew has been replaced by a much quieter version. The two groups that I, that once represented most of the community, pulp mill workers and loggers, cake eaters and armpits, now included many seniors and others not aligned with these two factions. More affordable housing too, no doubt, is another draw. The oil, the Alberta oil patch, where so many of our skilled workers relocated after the pulp mill closed, and now is now having its own economic problems with economic prosperity like an ocean tide out for so long it is now time for it to return question mark and when it does what will it look like for gold river and the former mill site time will tell 
But in the meantime, as they say on the coast, when the tide is out, the table is set. Notes to logger Daryl Wynn, the highest compliment you could give an individual locally would be to call them a Gold River person. And so that is the book um, published by Ptarmigan Press, um, Regional History. The ISBN number is 978-1988872056. And it's written by Chuck Simey. I hope that I've, I've said your name right. Um, and I really enjoyed reading Cultural Landscapes, Gold Rivers, Royal Beginnings. It's all really so good. 1967 what on earth was the future future queen of denmark and her husband the prince doing in a pulp mill on the west side of vancouver island oh cool stories that's on page 24 and i'll just go on with it a little bit until um it ends here so her visit was official and the size of her entourage showed it Princess Margaret and her husband, Prince Henrik, had come to officially open the brand new Tassus Company pulp mill, the elementary school in Gold River, and to inspect firsthand her royal family's 20-year investment in the Gold River area. It was a confident time in Canada then. Canada had turned 100 and the nation was celebrating. Out east, the world had was coming to Montreal at Expo 67, while on the West Coast, the princess and her husband were coming to a unique outpost. Modern suburbia had transplanted, and it was now in the woods. Brand new Gold River was opening up a whole new region of British Columbia. How different these times were for East Asiatic Company, the international shipping company closely associated with her royal house. How different they were from the dark days of war, during World War II, their head office had been burned by the Germans for helping the resistance and two of their ships had been torpedoed. Receiving insurance money from the American government for the ship's losses, the company had invested in timber in the Gold River Valley. By the late 1940s, they owned most of it. As the 1940s drew to a close, a series of events that would lead to the special Special September and the Royal Tour began, forming Tassus Company Limited with Gibson's Mills in 1949. Pioneer lumberman Gordon Gibson and his brothers would later sell out to East Asiatic in 1952. By 1960, Tassus Company believed that building a pulp mill on the west coast of Vancouver Island made good business sense, and three years later, the decision to actually dive in and do it was made. And then by 1965, the company now in the equal partnership with the Canadian International Paper, the Canadian subsidiary of International Paper of New York State, things really began to spring up. In an instant, so to speak, Gold River, along with its pulp mill and port, appeared on the landscape of British Columbia. And there's some interesting notes here. I'll just uh, read those and that'll be the end of this episode. Thanks for tuning in. By studying two accounts of the royal's visit, the princess's itinerary in BC appeared to have been as follows. September 25th, Victoria. September 27th, Tassis. September 28th, Gold River. Then Qualicum via Campbell River. September 29th, Vancouver. September 30th, return to Denmark. The princess probably traveled almost entirely by float plane while on the west side of the island. The road into Tassis from Gold River would not open until 1972, and by the summer of 1968, the road between Gold River and Campbell River was still mostly gravel. Would the Royal Tour have traveled to Campbell River from Gold River over a bumpy 89-kilometer road, or would the air option have been more likely? It seems likely the latter would have been chosen. That her entourage was large is indicated by the list of float planes necessary to fly them into Tassis. Four mallards, one goose, two beavers, and two Cessnas. So that is such a great story. 
Oh, this is a little bit about the Tassis Company, so I'll just skip right to that because I'm partial to it. Then they were given an outer wrap bearing the Tassis Company logo before being rebailed and strapped into the units again. By then, stacking these units too high in a line of false front was created for the tour participants. Though the newspaper account reports that the tour went off without a mar, one incident did occur, however. Thinking he would have a little fun, a worker took a silver dollar and soundly glued it to the floor along the route the princess and her entourage were to walk. As the princess and other company dignitaries, immaculately dressed in blue blazers and grey trousers, passed by, one of them spotted the coin and gave it a poke with his cane. As he continued to poke it at the stubborn metal that had been an effect of impeding a tour, when discovered, the worker received a reprimand. <laughs> oh, fun. That's funny. Anyways, um, thank you for listening to um, the Waterfowl Podcast. My name is Sarah Fowler, and I'm so glad that you are part of our, our flock and our, our team. And I'm glad to, to do this program. And I, I wonder who out there is listening. So thank you so much. You have a nice day. Bye-bye.